This Thursday edition of What's Susan Radio is brought to you by Let's Talk Bruh's virtual live show and workshop series. One more time, shout out to Let's Talk Bruh, a podcast on black masculinity and their host, friend of the project, Jeremy Hurt. They are in week two of their workshop series. I missed um, Mondays, which was dedicated to hair care during time in quarantine. If you are going a little bit wild up top, I'm growing mine out intentionally, actually just twisted mine with the good old sponge before I started doing these ads. So um, missed that one strategic, strategically. I also need to enunciate my words better, strategically. So um, yeah, I will be in attendance though for tomorrow's, which is called From We Real Cool to We Just Real. Jeremy will be co-hosting that with Jason Rosario. If it's anything like uh, the journaling workshop that he co-hosted with Kier last week, it's going to be a great time. So black men, black ladies, if you're available tomorrow, 7 p.m., please check it out. We will put the RSVP link in the episode notes so that you'll have direct access to it. But um, if you want to check out everything that they have going on, please check out their social media. Their Instagram is at Let's Talk Bruh, B-U-R-H. Uh, their Twitter is Let's Talk Bruh Pod. Let's Talk Bruh Pod. Yep. So check that out. Um, everything they got going on from their archive. You'll find me on a couple episodes. Holla at your boy. Um, the description for future workshops. I think they have a couple more workshops coming up. So descriptions for those and just everything they have going on. So please check out Let's Talk Bruh, a podcast on black masculinity. Stream it wherever you stream your podcast. We're also brought to you by the web's best kept secret, whatsuitsim.com, where we are working diligently to put out content. I have been, so I'm actually writing. Like, I'm trying to stop cursing, but no bullshit. Like, I'm actually writing. I have a bigger societal piece in the works that I actually want to have up, if not by Friday, then definitely by Monday. I guess maybe Monday for traffic purposes. But um, I want to, like, I might, I'm going to run this by Rihanna because she's, the consigliere she I, she runs i run everything by her but i want to do a piece on these versus battles um i'm about to out myself i missed the jill scott erica badu one i thought it was on a sunday because church uh, and they had been on sundays in my defense i just missed it i need to i know they on like youtube or something i need to watch it but just watching the ludicrous nelly one i had such high hopes for it bro and i really felt like they got into their own personal little battles and you have 500,000 people in attendance, bro. Play the hits. We here for a greatest hits battle. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not here for y'all to start playing obscure freeway collaborations you have, bro. And I, listen, I, I still want my Rockefeller chain. I didn't, I didn't come to a Nelly Ludacris battle to hear freeway outside of Rock the Mic, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what I'm here for. So, I have a Ludacris Nelly playlist in the works that I'm actually trying to um, pair songs together on now. I have, I actually, I even expanded it to 25 songs each. So Nelly and Ludacris each had 25 songs they could have gone to. I, Nelly, I think Ludacris won by like a thousand and left a lot of stuff on the table. So I actually want to like go through and, and get the playlist together. And I actually might write up a companion piece to explain like what I was thinking about. And I might actually do it with a couple of other versus pieces. So Ryan, if you hear this, text me um in that tomorrow afternoon and tell me whether or not you think it's a good idea anyways um so yeah i'm writing miss Rhonda morgan check out everything she's written on the on the website we are diligently getting our podcast together for the first days of june so be on the lookout for that um of the decade season one season two on the way come uh, the first days of july season one first one first 12 episodes everywhere you stream your podcast uh what else what's with some radio check out the first 48 episodes i think this is episode 48 uh so yeah check out the first 47 episodes um 48 49 and then episode 50 which we are excited to celebrate i still need to get something exciting planned for that but 
um, I'll get that together. So yeah, check out everything we're going on, man. What's some.com. Oh, consulting resumes, cover letters, um, crazy times, but, uh, capitalism isn't stopping. So, uh, yeah, we're just here to help any way we can help you guys get your documentation together. Small businesses. If you need help getting your paperwork together, copywriting, copy editing, uh, stuff like that. I'm happy to help. So check us out. Um, what's one more time. What suits him.com. Uh, coming up first time guest, the homie Martin Weiss. Um, so funny enough, just like with Phil, Phil Lewis a couple weeks ago, I'm thinking of folks I haven't had on the show in a while, people who um, might be good first timers, either or. And I'm refreshing Instagram and Martin's name is the first name I see. Now, Martin, we'll get into Martin's uh, bio, super multimedia producer. Um, got his hands in everything from his own podcast to working with Skip and Shannon. Um, just real busy out in LA, right? So I'm like, dang, Martin would be super good for the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, and my personal backstory with Martin, I want to say he's from New Orleans, uh, the New Orleans area, came up to Michigan after Hurricane Katrina and had been there ever since. And around 2014, 2015-ish, he uh, started throwing these brunches with his sister. And they got real popping. And I mean, we ran in the same circles. So um, I met him at one of the brunches. We started chopping it up and we just vibe. And um, crazy enough, this is our first conversation about sports. We might, we've talked about plenty of other stuff while, while maybe not sober, but um, first time ever talking about sports. So really good conversation, about 50 minutes, I want to say. Um, and yeah, hopefully you all enjoy it as much as I think we both enjoy having it. So hopefully Martin will be back on the show soon and uh, we can chop it up about some more stuff. So, yep, our conversation coming up next. But first, as always, you know I'm you love with my brother, Willie Mike Jones. Uh. Uh. I'm Detroit's own savior, Detroit's own plug, Detroit's own future, Detroit's own love. I'm Detroit's own. Yeah, I'm Detroit's own. Yeah, and I never asked for my heart back. You can have it without all you taught me. I never would have lasted. I know I can move through some Hollywood. All right, back on these microphones. First timer, my brother Martin Weiss. I ain't talking. I've been meaning to. I told him on IG, like, I'll be thinking about people I need to have on the show. And then I have whole friends who work in sports. So this is perfect. Martin, what's sure. up, my brother? How you doing, man? Can't complain. Uh, introduce yourself to the people, because I feel like I'm going to miss something important in your biography. So just a, a real quick 30-second bio, if you could. I, uh, Martin Weiss. I'm an associate producer for Undisputed on FS1 with Skip Bales and Shannon Sharp. I uh, have a segment on Rob Parker and Chris Broussard's radio show called The Odd Couple on Fox Sports Radio. And I post my own stuff over on my Instagram, at underscore Martin Weiss. I'm doing interviews and stuff throughout this pandemic. And you subscribe to my podcast and say something nice with Martin Weiss on wherever you find podcasts at. We will, That's link, about it. We will link to all that good stuff in episode notes for sure. Uh, but yeah, appreciate you coming on today, bro. Linking with me uh, to talk about this last dance doc, which I feel like swept the nation. Folks are sad that it's over. Um, yeah, how'd you feel about it? I, I guess we can start there. Like, what's your overall grade? What would you say? I'd say, like, I guess I kind of looked at it two ways because as a fan, A+, plus, you know, the entertainment value was off the charts. I thought it was, you know, I was, you know, like I was sitting up saying, hey, we got to get ready because Jordan's about to come on TV. Right, you know, like right. that was the attitude I had Sunday nights. 
But um, I say as a documentary, I got to give it. Like I couldn't really rate it higher than like a C plus or Mm -hmm. a B minus. Didn't really find out anything new. There wasn't really any like illuminating information. I was not of the belief that Michael Jordan already wasn't an asshole, right? (laughs) So I kind of, I didn't. The stories I had read, all it did was kind of confirm what I had already thought um, in terms of like the way he was talking to his teammates and so on and so forth. And uh, I think you see now so many people pushing back because I think if you look at it as a documentary, it's impossible to give it an A. But if you look at it as a video autobiography, mm-hmm. if, it's, if you look at the history according to Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. then there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for an accurate portrayal of what happened to the Chicago Bulls from 1991 to 1998, there's a lot of that. I feel like there's a lot that was left out. Yeah. No, I fully agree. I think that I heard somebody, well, I know I heard somebody reference it at, as his memoirs. Might have been Kevin <laughs> O'Connor. Um, and I think that's actually a perfect description. Like, I was getting mad. I remember I initially got mad around episode three about some of the Pistons um, historicity that he, that he threw in there. And like, I really felt a way that Michael Jordan almost made it seem like the Pistons were in his way to greatness. Not that he, we were the two-time defending champions. He had to beat us in order to get to greatness. Uh, like, there was no humility there. And it was almost like, dude, you weren't always the six-time... You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, I thought about this as I was watching these old games about how in each subsequent finals, it's like two-time final champion Michael Jordan or like three-time champion Michael Jordan. It's like, you weren't always this, you know what I'm saying, larger-than-life six-time champion, bro. Like, at a point, you were just like every other legend. So, for him to kind of massage those facts afterward to be like, yeah, people were, I almost felt like he was looking down on the Pistons for being almost like a roadblock to him instead of the roadblock he needed to, it almost, it made him the great player that he was. He didn't acknowledge that. And there were just so many moments in the, in the documentary, in the memoirs where it almost felt like he needed to, um, in order to protect the legacy that he had to make stories a little, embellish a little bit, I guess you would say. Well, it's not only that, like, my one of my biggest takeaways was apparently Michael Jordan was the only person on these teams. Got, <laughs> like every single moment. Like my buddy texted me the other day. Or he texted me uh on Sunday after the documentary ends. He's like, Man, if you didn't know, you would think Scottie Pippen just never showed up to any big moment whatsoever. Like he automatically checked out on big moments. No, sure. And it's just, I mean, Scott. Pivot is also a six-time champ, and like he gave him his flowers in the beginning, talking about there's no Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen, and then he went on throughout the rest of the mm-hmm. documentary to show just how little he needed Scottie Pippen to make all these fans. No, no, some, somebody said something about Scottie got his flowers in that game in that game six moment because his back was hurting, and I was like, no, there was a line where Michael said something about um, Scottie's back was out, so I had to bring all the energy, take all the shots, and I was like, you can still hear his voice. There were moments of resentment with Scotty where he felt like Scotty didn't show up for him, and I'm like, dude, you don't, you didn't win until you got Scotty. You don't win anything without Scotty. Like, have a little bit more gratitude, you know. Well, also the thing, like that migraine game, that was the one to me that the win that was one of the like essential moments of the documentary to me was when Michael was talking about how. Scottie Pippen had the migraine. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, you see in Michael Jordan's face that he understands fundamentally that Scottie Pippen had a migraine. The thing that he cannot understand is how he cannot play through, through the, the migraine. migraine. Yeah. 
And I feel like that is the overall, that was, that was the, you want my biggest takeaways? Scotty Pippen was weak and couldn't play through things, sort of, <laughs> right? And underpaid. Scott Burrell should have punched Michael Jordan in the face. And, like, I, I actually left with a lot of respect for Reggie Miller. <laughs> like, yeah. that was, like, like, those were my three biggest, like, non-Jordan, like, takeaways. What's wild is I really – I didn't walk away finding Michael Jordan to be any more of an asshole than I thought. I really felt like he was juvenile. Some of those Jerry Krause jokes were, like, mean. But I never felt like he was malicious. I felt like – I guess that's what I associated when I thought of Michael Jordan as being a bad teammate was that, like, he was withering on his teammates and that, like, they absolutely – and I'm sure over the course of a season, somebody made the point about the clip last night in Utah. He – um. They're, shooting, they're having that shooting contest, and he's just kind of on the side, like, not really paying attention. Everybody's airballing or bricking him terribly. Even Steve Kerr missed it terribly. And he just comes up and nails it. And is in Steve Burrell's face right afterward, just talking shit. And it's like, dude, 30 seconds ago, you didn't even seem to be very interested in this at all. But the, second, the moment you got to, like, make fun of your teammates, now all of a sudden you're invested. But before that clip, like, you could tell that he got along with Scotty in a way. Like, he was bugging Scotty while Scotty was talking to one of the coaches. He wasn't... I'm not running away from the fact he was an asshole. Obviously, he was. But I guess when I thought of asshole, Michael Jordan, I thought that, like, he was isolated from his teammates in a way. And I guess he was when they weren't on the court. But when they were on the court, he seemed like a pretty good, like, friend, I suppose. I don't know if you disagree or disagree. I would... Michael Jordan's ability afforded him a great station, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. you don't get to be like that if you... Like, Steve Kerr can't go saying, I want to challenge everybody on this team and push them and like, no, nah, they should just fight me then. Right. Right. It doesn't work like that unless you're all also the best player. And like, I like, if you ask me, would I rather play with Michael Jordan or LeBron? I think it comes down to like, would you rather play for like when the Patriots lost to the Eagles in the Super Bowl and all the Eagles were like, yeah, we won over here the fun way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't, but while I don't believe that it's true that you have to sacrifice some like nicety or politeness to win, like I don't think you have to be rude to your coworkers or, no, or no, no, no. to win. I don't, I don't believe that that's a fundamental part of it, right? Um, I think there's a, a level of accountability, of course, but there's no need to be like calling me a bitch and a hoe. <laughs> but like, you ask me, I'd rather play with LeBron, right? Because while LeBron, LeBron. Excuse me. It's, he's passive aggressive. Michael is aggressive aggressive. <laughs> like, if you know if you're on LeBron's good side, you might have to worry about like some like. I'd be careful what I said about him in the media, but like, I feel like I could apologize to LeBron. There's no apologizing to Michael Jordan. Like, that doesn't make him a good teammate to me. Mm. It's like, it's part of it. History is written by the winners. Yeah, and this is definitely the history according to the winners. Oh no, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. This is definitely Michael Jordan's memories of how it all went down. Cause um, I was reading stuff this morning about how Ron Harper's uh, the, Ron Harper's account of that Greg that Craig Elo um, the shot over him at eighty nine about how like those memories are tainted. That's not how it went down in the um, in the huddle. And Mark, Mark Price and a bunch of other cast came out and said that. And then Robert Parrish had an anecdote about how Michael Jordan tried to get in his face when he played with him in ninety six. And Robert Parrish wasn't taking that shit. And basically it was like, if I had to choose between Larry and Michael when it came to leadership, I would choose Larry because Larry was more inclusive when it came to, when it came down to her as Michael was always, was, was confrontational. 
Like you say, he's aggressive-aggressive. Like, he's going to get in your face just to see. And, I mean, I kind of, again, it's his hagiography. It's his, it's his documents. And so it's hard to really take it with more than a grain of salt. But, like, in a way, I almost appreciated that if you stood up to him, all it took was standing up to him in a way. And, again, it's like, who's going to stand up to Michael Jordan? Well, most reasonable people are not going to stand up to Michael Jordan because if you do it in the wrong way, that's your job. And that's there's only so many jobs in the league, right? That's why he's afforded. He's afforded the unique ability to be a raging asshole right. because there's only so much that you can do to come back. Yeah. Right? Like, Michael Jordan died at Steve Kerr in the face. <laughs> if Steve Kerr dots Michael Jordan in the face, it's probably a different story. Mm-hmm. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, if Steve Kerr doesn't push him, instead he's like, nah, pow, now I'm winning, and now they're really fighting. It's probably a different story. And, like, Scott Burrell was a reserve forward. He's like the seventh, eighth man off the bench. He played on the team for one year. Yeah. Did you notice that? Every time it popped up, it was Bulls forward 97, 98. He wasn't there the whole run. He wasn't there all the time. It's like, what is Scott Burrell going to do? Like, this is Jesus in gym shoes. Yeah. Jesus on gym shoes called me a bitch in a hole. (laughs) What am I supposed to do here? And and that's the tame stuff, bro. Like you know, that's that's stuff Michael Green lit. There was some mfers and some other weird shit in there. So we saw the approved stuff. Michael was way worse. You know, he had to be way worse. He let us see that. There's reports of him like calling Kwame Brown at a, as, at a flaming fucking you know you know f word. Yeah, yeah. Right, like as, as and he's like 19. <laughs> right. Imagine, imagine if fucking LeBron or Kobe, like you're a hoop, like you're a ball player. And you get to that level, and you're 21 years old, and LeBron or Kobe is like, yo, look at this skinny-ass bitch. <laughs> and I'm just like, damn, dog. It's like, bro, you were God to me. Like, yeah. like So, like, I say all that to say is, like, simply because somebody is really, really good at their job or, really, or the best in the world or something doesn't quantify them as a good person. And I feel like we do that a lot in society. Oh, no, 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 no. Is a, a pinnacle of something that like somehow they're inherently good. It's okay for Michael Jordan to be a bad dude. It's okay for Michael Jordan to be an asshole. He's also unarguably the top three basketball player of all time. No, you know, no, hundred percent. But no, I feel like I was talking to I was talking to Phil about it, Phil Lewis, and he was t- he was saying he made the point. It was a really astute point about how the stuff you were just saying about how the worst traits. He's an asshole. He's like hard on his coworkers. He's not a joy to work with. We kind of expect that out of our top athletes for some reason. Like we expect them to elevate their teammates to where they are. And for some reason, we always expect that to mean that they are supreme in what they do, right? So we talk about Michael. So when it comes up, when it comes out to Michael, when it comes out about Michael, him being an asshole or whatever, um, compare that with LeBron as we've been doing. It's like, well, LeBron obviously doesn't have... LeBron's not hard enough on his teammates. He's too nice. This new generation of players, like, works... They they uh, they uh team up too much. They like each other too much off the court. Michael would never team up with Bird and Magic and Bozzi. So, you know what I'm saying? So, it's like... Michael almost gets points for being an asshole, whereas LeBron gets docked for not being enough of an asshole. If LeBron was more of an asshole, we'd probably respect him more. You know what I mean? Well, or if, if LeBron beat the Spurs and... George Hill makes a free throw and, you know, the uh, I don't know, you, you know, a couple balls bounce a couple different ways. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, you're prior, you know, Kyrie, the knee stays intact. And all of a sudden, like, hey, 
you know what? Maybe it's all good with this kumbaya attitude. <laughs> right, right, right. Who's won eight out of nine championships? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like it's, it's what I'm saying. It's it's all retrofitted mm-hmm. because Jordan went six for six. Everything he did in the past was perfect. Was perfect. Mm-hmm. If he had gone one for six, everything he had done in the past would have been vilified. You know, it's just like it's just it's kind of. It's that was the biggest takeaway. To one of the biggest takeaways I had was, he's lucky all this shit worked. No, yeah, good point. That's an excellent and, point. And he and, and don't get me wrong, not to take away from the work that he put into it, and not to say that he did it a hundred percent deserve all the accolades that he got in the basketball world, right? Not to enjoy any of that, but. It's very easy for the ball to bounce one or two ways, and all of a sudden, you're three for six instead of six for six, mm-hmm. and your entire legacy is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't even thought about the fact that, I mean, because you're right, it all, it all is retrofitted. Like, at the point at which you win, it's like, well, my philosophy worked. But it's like, if you don't win, your philosophy obviously was trash. So, but Bobby, he's like, to me, uh, I got to give credit to Shannon Sharp. I heard him saying, but Michael Jordan and Bobby Knight have a ton in common. <laughs> Explain. I haven't heard this one before. Well, so, like, you know, Bobby Knight, you know, he's the way he just, uh, he would berate his players, yell at his players to, to the cows come home. You would hear some guys would talk about him. But yeah, you ever hear uh, Isaiah Thomas talk about Bobby Knight? You'll hear him talk about, like, he sounds like he's talking about his father, right? Mm-hmm. Bobby Knight got fired from Indiana because he choked out a player, right? Like, like we forget like, that to history. Like we like that just gets lost. Like, and he threw a chair across the floor in the middle of a game. Like these are things that we would not accept in any other world. No. But we accept them in athletics because there's a very easy delineation between the way to see wins and losses, and it's like you know it's very easy to see that. That's a great point. I never thought about. I never thought about the comp, but yeah, I mean the fact that Bob Knight was a tyrant. He yelled at his players, hard as fuck to work with. I'm sure people hated going to practice every day because they didn't know what they were gonna get from him. And um, then once he kind of lost his fastball, all the assholeness didn't work anymore. Nope. Once Mike got to Washington, he lost his fastball. Right? I'm not saying I, I didn't. You, you couldn't have expected him to be the same type of player that he was in Chicago, right? But well, all those legendary leadership motivational tactics didn't make the playoff. Like, you know what I'm saying? They didn't get them out the second round. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like No, they didn't, they didn't make the playoff. I mean, he drafted Kwame Brown and ruined his confidence. Like you like you said, like who does that? This is supposed like, to be your project, bro. You took him number one. That's a lot of money on the line. Yeah, what kind of leader does that? Yeah. You're man. To be your men, right? But so that's why I say history according to Michael Jordan. But man. I love loved every second. Loved every second of it. So People have been talking about what they have won in 99. I hadn't really, I had never really considered it until maybe well, a couple years ago, Simmons wrote this article, Bill Simmons wrote this article about uh, the fact Jordan didn't really want to retire in 99 and speculating it. And I hadn't thought about it because I was six when Jordan retired. All I knew was he won, he went six for six, he was done. That's kind of the narrative that I convinced myself as a Jordan stand. So I'm like, damn, if Jordan come back, um, How's that work with Scotty? Scotty hated Krause. Krause. I mean, Krause is like the X factor here, right? And I mean, Jerry Krause, again, this is the memoirs of Michael Jordan. Jerry Krause isn't here to defend himself. Um, but it did appear that he was over the entire um, experience, which is weird because you just won six titles, bro. I feel like I would want to keep that going. 
Uh, I get it. I get why, like, you should be able to defend until the, uh, you know, guess cows come home. Yeah. Look at that team. Dude, Rodman was 38. Scotty was disappointed. Like, Scottman was pissed off and, and, and not getting his money, right? But, like, Jerry Krause to me, Jerry Krause built a champion. Jerry Krause built a team that went six for six. <laughs> like in a, in a in a league in a, in a in a in an era where you had like the guys like Patrick Ewing, uh, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, and like those types of that was the guys who were really dominating. Who was think about it? We didn't see Reggie Miller's of the world until the second part of the documentary, mm-hmm. right? Most of it were put like. You had Larry and Magic, sure, but most of the league is dominated by big men. So think about the league. Think about the league currently, okay? The league dominated by three-point shooting and layups basically set off the Golden State Warriors in the last three years. But it would be like if it'd be like if uh, like if the Pelicans, when they had DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. right, with the whole league is saying we're gonna go have everybody be six nine. Yeah. They're like, you know. No, we're gonna start two seven footer. You deal with it. Like he's Jerry Krause zigged because he had an incredible talent in Michael Jordan that kind of fell to his lap at three, right? But fell to and then built a team around him. There wasn't like free agency. Like he wasn't nah. recruiting people. He was going to fucking Croatia and getting Tony Kukoc. Going, getting Tony going to going to Central Arkansas and getting uh, Scotty. Imagine the fifth pick in the the fifth pick in the NBA draft went to an NAIA school. He found Dennis. Robin in Southwest Oklahoma. Like, and I'm not saying that Jerry Krause was is 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 not to have any fault here, but the idea that it was like, like if you go back, I think I believe it was Bamani Jones who did it, but he goes back and kind of if you evaluate some of the moves that Jerry Krause even made after '98, the Bulls shouldn't have been nearly as bad as they were. Just a lot of bad luck. Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's typically bad luck. I, I wouldn't, I would say I ain't gonna put a percentage on it, but it's typically bad luck. A lot of that crowd stuff was bad luck. Danny Williams got hurt uh, with the motorcycle crash. Jamal Crawford. I, I can't. I don't, I don't want to mess it all up and go out through the whole thing. But there was just like a cavalcade of stuff that happened after MJ retired. Really, after MJ really it started with the number one reason why they probably wouldn't have defended in '99. He cut off his freaking finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he cut off his finger smoking a cigar. And that's just conveniently forgotten history. That he's like, it's like if a quarterback or a point or a basketball player or a baseball player loses a finger, that's important. <laughs> I mean, folks have speculated he would have been ready by whenever he started January '99. Um, that's the, that's the only. I'm with you. I don't think they would have repeated only because I think that finals bore out. It was a semi-young Knicks team with Camby and Spreewell in Houston against. The, against Baby Duncan and not old uh, uh, David Robinson. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, you've, you've won out that year. I feel like the Bulls was way too old. Uh, they was getting bound experience anyway. What, what happened with, like, like, Phil was the one who put Last Dance on the binders. Mm-hmm. Like, Phil was the one that started this whole time. Phil was gone regardless. So, like... Your Phil was over the whole experience. And Mike said... But I, somebody made the point, I was listening to one of these recap pods about how... That was Phil saying "fuck you" to Jerry. It was like Mike's only gonna play for me, and I'm not playing here again. So you just lost Michael Jordan. Congratulations. I mean, 
I get it in like the player empowerment era now. Like Jerry Krause would have been the guy to go, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, but back then, I mean, Reinsdorf was never even to this day. Reinsdorf trusts his GM and his management way more than he probably should. We saw with Garpax, you know. So he's not. He wasn't just about to like be meddling with what Jerry Krause was doing. He went over his head to resign Phil for '98, which right. was probably something he didn't really want to do, you know. So. Uh oh, I got I got to get to this take. I know we running we running up on time, but uh, Jerry Sloan was a bad coach, bro. I gotta <laughs> get this. I gotta get this off my chest, dog. So in '97, Mike is sick. Jerry Sloan professes he has no clue Michael Jordan is sick. Well, no. So he says after the game he didn't know. Mar. So I watched that game maybe three weeks ago. Marv says during the game that Jerry Sloan doesn't want to know anything about Michael Jordan's medical condition because he's going to treat him like he typically treats him. To which I reply, no, Michael Jordan can't fucking run up and down the court. Run him off the court, bro. Like, what are you doing? Same thing with Scotty. Scotty has a bad back, bro. Scotty's running like he got to take a shit. Run him off the court, bro. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to treat them any differently. This is not January, like, game 54 of the season, dog. This is game six of the finals. Do what you got to do to win. Like, that was so bizarre to me, dog. I was. I think that the logic behind it. I don't know how the quote stands twenty years later, but I feel like our thir- God thirty years later. <laughs> but uh, whatever it is. But I think I. Th- I would imagine his logic being: I don't want to know if Michael Jordan is sick or not because I don't care if Michael Jordan is sick. Michael Jordan got one leg. Michael Jordan got you know what. Gambling debt, whatever. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan can hang up. But Michael Jordan can do us in, in any state. So I'm going to treat him exactly like Michael Jordan is 100% healthy. That would be, if I imagine that would have to be where he was coming from. Right. No, I get, I get the perspective. I totally get the perspective. Um, my only argument is that he's not at 100%, Brett. We don't know what percent he's at. All I know is that he's sick. But... Beyond the mic thing, the Scotty thing is specifically bad because Scotty can't run. You're looking at Scotty being unable to run up and down the court. And he's acknowledging during the, during this documentary he was a decoy. The entire time he was a decoy. Run him off the court, bro. Like, this is this is the physical NBA, right? I'm using air quotes. This is the physical era of the NBA. Throw, like, put some big niggas on him. Throw him on the ground. Do what you got to do. But to pretend like Scotty Pippen's at 100% all because you want to stick to your game plan or you don't want to, like, mentally change how you're approaching the game you god has given you a gift like accept it you know what i mean like don't run from it hey there lead creative larry sanders dropping in just to let you know that what suits him is officially open for advertisements partnerships and the like our media kit available at whatsuitshim.com backslash advertise highlights our various components and what makes what suits him unique and as we march toward our fifth anniversary this upcoming january We're proud to say that we've not only sustained our initial mission, but have grown into places we never could have imagined during those halcyon planning days in December 2015. So keeping it short and sweet, we love to work with you and we know you'd love to work with us. So let's make it official. Check out our media kit on the Wasusim Instagram at Wasusim or at wasusim.com backslash advertise and shoot us a message once you're ready to collaborate. Talk to you soon. So, I mean, where'd you have Mike in the GOAT conversation before now? You, you had, I heard you say top three. Did you have him at three, two? Well, I'd say, I'd say there's, there's absolutely no argument that he's in the top three. Like, mm-hmm. if you were arguing about Jordan, the fourth best basketball player of all time, like, I got no, I had no time for you. But uh, I had him as number one um, before this and then after this. Mm-hmm. I would have been, I was ready 
to put LeBron there if LeBron had beaten the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant? Because that would have been the that I would have never seen anything like that. <clears throat> like I would have like that would have been like no, this is like because the thing with Mike and the, I'll be honest, the reason. I put Mike at number one as a guy who, you know, that that jazz series is really one of my first sports memories. Mm-hmm. But, um, I watched the the documentary uh, Reggie Miller versus the Knicks, Winning Time. Yeah. Reggie Miller got thirty for thirty. Mm-hmm. And the the my takeaway from that documentary was all of this occurred because Michael Jordan was playing baseball. <laughs> Like, if you go back and watch it, it's like all of this, this whole entire moment occurred because Mike was gone. And that's really why I don't respect 90s basketball. I mean, and I'm trying to come out of that because I idolized Michael Jordan, but I almost idolized Michael Jordan. Mark, uh, Mark Titus made this point the other day about how he really wasn't a Jordan fan, but he understood as like, he was from Indiana. He's like being in the Central Division with the Bulls. Like, my team's never going to win. He's Thanos. He's inevitable. The Bulls are always going to win. That's kind of why I was a Jordan fan growing up, because I was like, yo, the Pistons are never going to win, so I'm just going to watch the Bulls, because they're fun and they never lose. Um, and I feel like, I, I think that kind of gets lost you think about the 90s is that, like you said, if Jordan doesn't go play baseball, I'm not going to say he goes eight for eight, but in a way, it helps the myth that... So many things happened while he was gone. And then the second he came back, it was like, oh, yeah, all your teams are second rate again. The Bulls are the, – the Bulls go 72 and 10, and they go 69 and 13. Like, these te- you all – you other teams are second rate when it co- compared to the Bulls. Um, so, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, yeah. It's, it's the same thing now. Like, it's, it's just the, – it's the same thing now. The only difference is, like, okay. Le- LeBron – Decade-long dominance of the Eastern Conference. Okay, they should have beaten the like the the, the Iguodala MVP year. Mm-hmm. If if the Cavs were healthy, they probably win that. Right? They re-signed everybody. The thing that fucked up LeBron's like Jordan-level moment was Kevin Durant. If Kevin mm-hmm. Durant never goes to Golden State, because you got to remember like the way it all goes down. Kevin Durant going to Golden State tipped the scales to a point where now. Like, if you look at all right, so you look at the teams that Michael Jordan was playing against. None of them had three Hall of Famers, no. right? And I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to sit up here and say that uh, are four Hall of Famers, right? Because that's what Golden State's going to eventually have. Three, and I'm not trying to have, but yeah, I agree. But I'm not trying to say that those teams aren't good or those teams aren't. Uh, well, who's? I wasn't thinking Draymond. I was thinking Steph, Clay, Iguodala, and. Uh, and uh, Kevin Durant. Okay, okay, okay. Those are the four, right? Uh, that I had in my head. But um, the reason why I said that was not to devalue the competition that Michael had against him, but it's relative. It's it's important, especially when you think of the free agency era. That's why I said if LeBron had beaten that, like that one where George Hill missed the free throw in Game One. And Jr. didn't call timeout. That, no, that's, that's still the greatest game I've ever seen in my life. Like individual game, period. That's the greatest game I've ever seen in my life. I still Man. have no clue how he won that. Almost won that game. Aside from, I had a long-standing theory that Kevin Durant was point shaving while he was with the Dubs. That's neither here nor there. But he was doing some weird shit that game, and I'm like, dog, all right, fine. And Brian just, yeah, Brian was on the mission. You know, I think you know what happens to me, bro. You know what I think people don't give enough credit to is that these athletes are human. 
especially yeah. in basketball. Because, yeah, I think in basketball, it's a little harder to see. Like, if a guy fumbles, it's a little bit easier to be like, wow, he hasn't fumbled in 4,000 carries. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're kind of – there's kind of an acceptable rate of failure in basketball, right? You're only expected to make about 50 to 60% of your shots, depending on where you play from. You know, anywhere from mm-hmm. 35 to 50% of your shots, depending on where you play for. So, like <clears> – <throat> so, I think people just don't – like, like James Harden, like there's nothing wrong with it. He's just not made for the moment, right? Like, not everybody is. Right. It's like, but that's what's like. There has to be people like James Harden who are not made for the moment to have people like Jordan who are. You know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be that dichotomy has to exist. So I can't necessarily just kill a guy for not being like. So that's why I meant like Kevin Durant wasn't up for Game One. Once he won, got some confidence behind him. You saw he, what happened. Stone Cold Killer. Right. Like, some people need that kick in the pants. But LeBron was a man on fire. LeBron was eating his lunch all game one. Mm-hmm. He was in his head. Mm-hmm. I tell you, bro. Like, now that I work on these debate shows every day, I didn't really care about – I mean, I still don't really care about who's the best ever or whatever. But when I saw LeBron come down the court with 10 seconds left, get the switch on Steph at the end of game one, he had 14, look, 14 seconds left. He passed the ball J.R. J.R. said, what you doing with that? <laughs> he got Steph on him, bro. Up until that point in the game, LeBron was 13 for 16 when guarded by uh, Steph Curry. And he sat there for 10 seconds with the ball like this. And, yeah, George Hill missed the layup. But with four seconds left, LeBron had nothing to do with the ball down one. And it just, like, and to me, like, I was in that moment. I was like, "Oh, that's that shit that Skip be talking about." That that whole sequence was weird. Cause so, but, not- I, but no, yes, okay, the whole sequence was weird. However, if it was Michael Jordan, oh no, or, Jordan wasn't even thought about passing the ball. And, no, I say, not, and, not, and it's not just Mike, like like Mike or Kobe, Kobe or like yeah, or like certain players. They don't, it's like, no, nah, even they might have passed it with fourteen seconds left. But once they got it back with ten, all right, it's time to like. This is my, we go, I'm going down like this. And I feel like you have to have that in order to be the best, you have to have that ability to take that risk. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to miss that shot. I feel like at this point, that's the brand though. And he's so stuck in that being the brand that he's always going to make the pass, you know? I'm not- I, I think he's very invested in like that being the brand. Because even I was talking to somebody about, uh, game six, thirteen, when he came down and bricked that first three, like bricked it, and I was like, in that moment, I was like, oh, LeBron thinks he got to take this shot to prove something to somebody. You know what I'm saying? So, and to the point, like retrofitted, it's like I've seen LeBron try to be the hero, and it don't fit him. So I'm at this point, I don't even blame him when he make the pass. It's like, bro, that's who you are. You know, like I'm not gonna try but- to force you to take that shot when I can tell that every time you try to take that shot is because you think that you're supposed to take that shot. Like, you're not Mike. You're not Kobe. That's fine. You're still the second best player of all time, in my opinion. But, like, like you said, like, you're not built for that moment every time. Like, sometimes you are. But even in the moments when he make them, I'll be like, ugh, like, that wasn't really... You ain't really want this moment, bro. Like, you just kind of fell into it. You know what I'm no, saying? You want, like, those deep threes he started taking this year. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, all of a sudden, he's going to pull up from the logo, like, every other week. But, like, you, okay. but you can't make two free throws in a row, bro. He, he is he is madness. LeBron James pisses me off so much. But the thing is, though, like, 
people may think me, people may hear this, may, it may sound like me being critical of him. It's like, no, I, LeBron James is the best basketball player of my lifetime, right. flat out. Like, there's no doubt about it. I've enjoyed watching him play like the entire time, but I think you can still be slightly critical of a man. Oh, yeah. The yeah. same he's not the best basketball player of all time, is the second best. Oh, my goodness, what a slight. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, nah, people will for sure do that to you. Uh, I got Kobe at about the six seven range, and for some reason, people acted like I got him at like a hundred. I'm like, uh, seven comes quick, guys. Like, I don't think I'm doing the man an injustice by having him at seven. You know, I was around there too with Kobe, and having conversations with, like, kind of off camera conversations with guys who played in the league. It kind of, I didn't necessarily change my mind, but it definitely made me reconsider a little bit. That's Because it was the idea of, it was that idea of like, nah, bro, like, like Kobe hit game winners, bro. Like, like, like Kobe hit, like, it was like, nah, I was like, nah, bro. Like at the end of the day with 10 seconds left, the opposing coach is like, deny Brian the ball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, like, that's a thing. Like, that's a thing that was a part of like, and he's like, you can't, quantify for that and it was like it's something that kind of made me kind of just think differently maybe probably about a year before he died a year before he passed away I started to kind of look back I didn't necessarily change my mind but it just gave me information and made me look at it in a different way no that's real I think I guess the reason why I'm only skeptical to have Kobe so high is because um I mean Simmons I, I mean Simmons kind of like my basketball like Buddha so I listen to him for a lot of this stuff but he compares Duncan and Bryant, which I think is a fair comparison. And I think I do think Tim Duncan had a better career. And so it's like, all right, if I got them slotted next to each other, I still got to have Tim one slot higher. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to have Duncan higher than Magic or Kareem. So that's where, like, three, four, five come in. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be aggregate NBA player that I've talked to about this conversation. Name me Duncan's big shots. <laughs> name, me the, name me the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, Duncan- he 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 had to, he had that one in Phoenix, but I, but I'm not I'm not even trying to I'm just saying I, it, to me the, the debate is pointless. They were both amazing players. Right, and they right, both, right, right, right. You know, so it's like I'm not there's, there's no sense to me. But that's what. And then after a while, you hear that so many times. It's like man, that's real. It's like with you know like with ten seconds over, were you paying extra attention to Tim Duncan more than you were the whole game? Whereas, like, Kobe is like, I'm a triple team this MF. No, that's the thing. I mean, that's but Kobe had a flair for dramatic. So, I, bro, so a couple so, so Being that, though. Like, that's basketball more than any other sport. No, it's yeah. About, I'm not saying it's about being cool, but if you can be cool while you're doing it, that matters. 100%. 100%. No, I had a, bro, the, the uh, 3-1 finals. Um, I think after game four, I texted my homeboys and asked them Kyrie or Dame. Cause I was like, bro, I don't like, I love Kyrie when he, when he's on, but right now, like I'm not seeing it. Then he came out and torched Nick's next three games. I was like, all right, bet Kyrie. But I mean, that conversation came up again the last couple of weeks and my friends said Kyrie cause they were like, Kyrie just got more sauce than Dame do sometimes. And I'm like, man, but Dame is just as efficient. Like, I don't understand. I guess it's all what you prefer, but. That's my thing with Rhea is Rhea make it look pretty, but I don't give a fuck about the prettiness sometimes. Like, I just kind of want the bucket, so. Damian Lillard is a stone-cold assassin. And I'll put it, I'll, I'll, this is my hottest take. If it, if that, you swap Damian Lillard and Clay Thompson, I mean, uh, and Steph Curry, absolutely the same, exact. 
Portland is exactly where they are, and Golden State would be exactly where they were. I I don't hate the take. I don't hate the take. I I think Steph got a little better in between game, but Dame got there now. Dame is that Dame's game is pretty much Steph's game at this point. It's <laughs> pretty much you, the same stuff. And I'll tell you, if I wonder, I would love to see Damian Lillard. Damian, I'll put it like this, bro. You want to talk about Stone Cold Killers? Damian Lillard not throwing the ball behind his back out of bounds in the middle of the fourth oh, no. quarter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not – Dame is waving you off the court, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's 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 kind of like the doop, doop, doop for me. But, you know, it rings, bro. So. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so I guess, like, what was your favorite overall moment from the from the doc? If you had the episodes one through ten. Uh. So first, my first favorite moment was when Michael Jordan cried about winning mm. because if anything, it showed, I thought this documentary showed that it was by far the most important thing to him. They didn't mention his wife until episode six. You saw his kids, episode nine Man, and 10. I was like, where are his kids? <laughs> like the only time they mentioned his wife was, here, Michael, your wife is on the phone. Yeah, let me talk to her. She was sitting next to him at the first retirement press conference. They ain't say nothing about her. She was just there. About you want to know who she was, right? And uh, I think that it would show that winning was the most important thing to him. And uh, if not only winning, but also the intense hatred of losing, which mm -hmm. are, I think you have to have kind of twofold there, right? Because some days you're gonna need that loss to motivate you, and like. That's why I'm into sports. Like, that's why I cover sports. I don't cover sports because I think they're nice guys. I don't cover sports because I cover sports because intense competition. Is, I've always been drawn to it, and I never could compete at that level. Mm -hmm. But it is, like, it's amazing to me. And the drama that goes along with it is just a bonus. Um, <laughs> like, you should see me now. Like, I'm, like, I started playing PlayStation again just to play and watch people play against each other. <laughs> like, just to watch people compete. but. That was probably my favorite moment. My uh, next favorite moment was Reggie Miller saying he wasn't afraid of Michael Jordan because it was like seemed like he was the only person in the documentary that said it. Uh, the most revealing moment to me was that Isaiah Thomas is still living in Michael Jordan's head rent free. Uh, this is great. For no and it seems like maybe even the rest of the NBA, but. <laughs> Because, like, Isaiah was nice. There's no doubts about it. He should have been on that dream team. Two-time champ, bro. Two I feel like that. them bad boys are underrated historically. And I don't I don't quite understand why, except for... I feel like anytime people bring up, like, oh, nobody fucked with Detroit back then, people get real spooky about it. But it's, like, it's also true. Like, nationally, Detroit was on a decline. Like, nobody really fucked with us in, like, as a region. So it makes sense that, you know, it wasn't L.A. or Boston, so we kind of going to skip y'all. And it's not Chicago neither, so y'all not the Midwestern team we want. It makes sense, but so many people seem to be like, eh, we don't want to talk about, like, it's not it's not fair to you. No, it's 100% true. Y'all didn't like Detroit as a city, so I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I don't know what the, what it is about that, but like, Isaiah Thomas, to me, Isaiah Thomas looked the best coming out of this documentary out of anybody. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the up was my last takeaway. And then it's just like, let me see, what was my, I had another one. Oh, thousand percent do not believe that Common went up to Michael Jordan 
and Jordan and asked and some because some kid gave him a basketball to ask to for Michael Jordan to sign it for five dollars. Thousand percent, Mike. He did not go and ask Michael Jordan to sign that basketball because that would have been the last day he was a Chicago Bulls ball boy. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, absolutely even less of a way that Justin Timberlake was out mowing lawns to buy Jordan, standing in line to buy Jordans. This dude was on the Mickey Mouse Club at ten years old. You telling me that you were standing in line? They had to get him in the dock, bro. He had to have a good story. He had to have a good story. Just don't make it up then. How about you be like, man, you know, I was 12 in my mansion, and you know what? I had the Jordan 1s hand-delivered by the butler I, as a M-I-C-K-E-Y. Right, I, show, I showed up on set in my, in my all-new 7s. Like, you know what I'm saying? Tell the truth. Exactly. And, you know, Britney Spears was like, hey, I like your shoes, Justin. Like, what? Like, come on, dude. So <laughs> those were, uh, that's, my, uh, that's my rundown. Those are my biggest moments of the documentary those were my most re- oh last one yeah we have definitely we have got to get a documentary about mama shop oh my god i didn't even thought about it but bro, you yes 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 bro he wasn't okay. in this nearly enough and i kind of understand why like it's almost beside the point but like dog like my mama shop was next to this nigga for 85% of the 90s, like, I'm pretty sure he could have been just a narrator. You know what I mean? It's like telling the story firsthand. Okay, but that's only like... So, Ahmad Rashad, first off, he started out his name as Robert Banks or Robert Brooks, I can't remember. Goes to Oregon. He's nothing but all-pack 12 wide receiver. Has a nine-year NFL career. Multiple-time Pro Bowl MVP. Four-time All-Pro. Okay? Then he decides, you know what? I'll just talk about basketball. You know. Does NBA inside stuff like wins like incre- like significant amount of Emmys, right? With like like he and Willow Bay hold that thing down for 16 years of NBA inside stuff. Converted to Muslim, right? So that's a whole other thing. And generally, it's whole idea of like traveling and, and finding God or you know Allah, however you you know whatever you phrase it. Right. Best friends with Michael Jordan, and at his wedding of which he proposed his fiance Felicia Rashad, on national television, his wedding, his groomsmen. Do you know who they were? Go ahead and tell the people. O.J. Simpson and Bill Cosby. Incre- that picture remains incredible. Remains incredible. This man need, like, you want to talk about 10 hours. 10 ain't 10 enough. 10 hours. 10 ain't enough. And what's funny to me is watching these games so it, sorry, the last thing, the yeah, last thing yeah, about Mark, yeah. he's 70 years old. When you look at he's 70 years old. Look at him now. He look he look like he's in his 50s. Right. I would never I would never guess that. I would never guess somebody 70. Two two things about Ahmad. First, I love when they always cut to him. There, there was always a little bit of iceness, I felt like, between him and Marv, because I felt like Marv hated on the fact he was there primarily to tell us what Michael did that day. But then right. part two of it was that like Amal was really on the sideline to tell us what Michael did that day. Not what the Bulls did that day. Not what, like, Bill Winnington had for breakfast. It was, what did you and Michael talk about on the way over in his Range Rover? Like, what was y'all conversation? Like, yo, Amal had it good, bro. Amal had it great. I mean, just that gambling exclusive with the sunglasses. Like, that's just all of that is just. Oh, my God. It does not exist in today's world. Nope. 
Nope. The fact that Amaya's the one who got the interview, like, Amai, not to say he wasn't qualified for it, but he was like an investigative journalist. Why is Amaya Rashad conducting that interview? The fact that Michael had on, had on sunnies, like, why you have on shades, bro? Like, this, now is that time to be hiding your face from the public. We kind of need to know what you're talking about. That interview is incredible. But, uh, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway about it all the so. But no, the, the audio of him, I, like, I think we'd all have seen the video, or, the, or at least the picture of him laying on the ground after four. I think after the, when he got the fourth after his dad passed. Uh, that and, was three. Um, that was three? Yeah, because his dad, he got three, and then his dad, his dad died, he got the third ring, then he yeah. retired. Go play baseball, right? I think so. But I mean, the, the audio of him on the guy, that, that was like anguish, bro. I didn't know he was that. His his heart was broken. Um, so that was definitely something I hadn't seen. Aside of him, I hadn't seen before. Um, I don't know. For, bro, for some reason, could I have been his teammate? Probably not. Um, but I guess for the type of person that was able to be his teammate, I enjoyed the interactions they showed. Like, I really enjoyed watching him. I enjoy Scott Burrell talking back to him a little, not, not like fighting back, but just acknowledging like, I'm, I'm not going to like sit here and shrivel up. There, there are so many teammates I feel like um, there are stories about, I feel like there was Brad Sellers who like was scared, like legitimately scared of Michael to the point where Michael would bully him and he wouldn't even talk to Michael. And it's like, was Michael a bully? Yes. But I also felt like if you just kind of like played along with the joke, he became less a bully and more like a pal, I guess. The point at which you hanging out with Michael Jordan and he got tons of security around him, you've kind of been chosen to be in the circle. So it's all about what you want out of the experience, obviously. But I think but as long as you're willing to play along with the gimmick and you were in the game, you know what I mean? Basically, what it is. It's like he's got – he's so in charge but not in charge. Right. Like, that's – like, like, it's just – to me, the quintessential Michael Jordan story is John Paxton saying how he, uh, Jordan and Harper and uh, whoever else would be in the back playing big money blackjack games, right? And then, like, Paxton, Winnington, and basically the white guys <laughs> would be in the front playing for a dollar a hand. Right. Mike comes up, says, what y'all playing for? A dollar a hand? Deal me in. He said, Pac says, he looked at him and said, what are you doing here? Like, you belong back there. Like, you're not, not about to, we're not about to raise a pot, none of that. He said, no, nah, I just want your money in my pocket. And so, like, to me, it's like, bro. Sociopath. Well, like, if you're of a certain stature, you can take that, right? Because you can, like, like, Scottie Pippen blocked Michael Jordan's shot at one point in time in life. Right. Like, that happened. That occurred. But if you're, if you are never, ever, if you're Scott Burrell, bro, like you're never getting to that point, like, what do you say? Like, yo, fuck you, Mike. Like, like it, I not if you want a job, I though. Can, I could, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's and want to keep your job. Like, I could definitely sympathize with some of those guys. No, I definitely, oh. I definitely get. It. Like I said, I don't know if I could do it. Um, I don't know, like. The entire, like I said, I guess I, I took him being a jerk as him being completely isolated from his teammates, and that clearly wasn't the case. I felt like he definitely had more of a personality than we were led to believe. Also, Dragonfly Jones called him a sentient neck bone the other day on Twitter, and that shit was hilarious. That man was country AF, bro. I didn't realize he was so country, but he is North Carolinian through and through, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, Why, wow, man? You'd be surprised. Super country. Super country, but um, but yeah, I guess that was it. Oh, and the Steve Kerr, uh, the Steve Kerr little vignette, 
uh, seem to touch a lot of people. I, I thought that was more common knowledge about what happened to his dad, but I guess not. And I, 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 mean, I mean, I have more reason to know as a basketball fan, I guess. But um, yeah, people seem to really ever seem to resound with a lot of folks. And the idea that he and Mike never talked about it, I guess trauma's that big, you don't really talk about. But um, yeah, to, to think no, they had something like that yeah, in common. Michael Jordan's a raging asshole. He, he punched Steve Kerr in the face. You think they were friends after? Yeah, at like, what, that's at what like, point are y'all going to talk about it? Yeah, like, you know, like, oh, hey, Steve, run faster. Hey, Mike, you know, sorry to hear about your dad. I know we got that in common. Like, that's what, like, see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, it's good. history gets written by the winners. The reason why they, I don't want to say the reason why they never talked about it, but there was not an environment in which that type of conversation was, 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 uh, was it welcome? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, no, like, you know what else they probably never talked about? How, so, like Mike and I bet Mike and Scotty Pippen probably never really, or at least the documentary would let it to be seen that Mike and Scotty Pippen never had no conversation about, hey, bro, you probably might not want to take this deal, even though your family is jacked up down there. Like, you won't get a whole lot more money in the next year, in a year or two from now. Mm-hmm. Wow, Mike's calling him selfish. You know, it's like, you no, know. That, that was weird, the dynamic between Mike and Scotty. And again, it's Mike's documentary, so. Scotty was never about to be in there, like, digging him up for real. But I would really, really, really love to know the true story behind Mike and Scotty's relationship. Like, they showed that one clip of Scotty wearing the 10s and showing and, like, pointing whatever to the camera and telling Mike to come back or whatever. So, and Scotty was obviously supportive of Mike in ways that were obvious on camera as we were watching the game. But I would love to know, like, how Scotty truly felt about Mike coming back in 95. I would love to know... Just how like Scotty dealt with Mike as a over as a general teammate. Like you said, like they didn't seem to really be close friends like that, or friends enough to the point where Mike was able to be of like life help to him. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. Like it, it really didn't seem to tiptoe around. And Michael was not Michael was not quiet about the fact that I mean, like you said, the migraine game, he did not seem to be able to compute how Scotty could not play through that. But Monty brought up the fact that Mike playing through the food poison or the flu, whatever it was to this day, probably informs his idea that, like, Scotty should be able to play through that migraine. And then even him playing through that back problem in game 698, you hear Mike say, Scotty was basically useless to me. I had to do everything. He says that on camera the other night. I'm like, yo, where is the gratitude for the fact this guy helped you get six of them things, bro? Without him, you were on zero. Like, show a little bit of gratitude. And it's just what it's never was there, it seemed like, on the other side. Scotty was very gracious, but... I don't know if Mike has graciousness in him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's going to be interesting because a lot of people are getting pushed back. You ain't seen Scotty Pippen say anything since the documentary came out. Mm-mm. Or as Grant's had a lot to say. Mm-hmm. I love this documentary thinking that Michael Jordan's only friend in the world was a mob shot. <laughs> and, and the Sniff Brothers and the... Uh, my and that one George. Yeah. George Kohler. You know how they met? In the airport, randomly. <laughs> but that's, that, was, that was how I left it. And, I mean, he seemed to get along with, uh, shout out to Ryan Lett, the Lett family. But I'm sure that was because, like, he didn't take no shit from Mike. You know, so he, probably, he probably was Michael's dad. He probably told him what to do. He didn't, like, let Mike push him around. Well, your security guard probably the one person that's telling you what to do, right? <laughs> Mike, you got to go in here now. All right, let me go in here now. Right. Mike, we got to go. We got to go. So I said, all right, shit, let me get out of here. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. You got any, any final thoughts, last things you want to share? I, uh... Would have loved to have been that security guard that won that dollar off of Michael Jordan. I would have never ever played him again. Ever again, Mike would have been Badger. I'm sure Mike Badger boy till he played him again too. Had to. You had to badge me every day. 
You can see you can see the uh, the disdain on Mike's face when he lost it too. It's like, bro, these are you playing quarters with people who made that. That's somebody made that point about like the big money blackjack game. It's like, dog, Mike made thirty three million his last two years in Chicago, and he playing with people. This this the salary cap. He made more than the salary cap. So everybody else on his teammates making one point nine, two point one. Like, bro, why are you taking these people money? Like, what are you doing? Exactly. You're ultimately you're always going to be big bank. So always, always. And he no, loved it. Really, no risk. But and he loved it. But, uh, for you. Yeah. All right, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, tell the people again where they can find you at. I'm on uh, social media at Martin Weiss W E I S S and. Uh, that's about it. I'm not giving out my address and phone number, so you have to follow me on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> I'll put the phone number in the episode. It's like, no. Uh, all right, bro. Appreciate you again, man. Yeah, no doubt. All right, again, thank you to Martin. Follow him everywhere. He said to follow him. Subscribe to the podcast. Again, we'll link to everything he's doing in the episode notes. Check all that out. Let's Talk, bro. A podcast on black masculinity. Hosting another virtual workshop tomorrow evening. Check that out. Jeremy is co-hosting with Jason Rosario from We Real Cool to We Just Real, uh, 7 p.m., I want to say. And again, we'll link to that in the episode notes as well. Wasusim.com, the gang. Still going strong podcast, consulting, photography. Um, again, if you listened to the mid-episode adverti- advertisement, I want to start uh, pronouncing like that instead of advertisement, advertisement. There are so many words. Random tangent. I feel like I just want to share this with you all because y'all might care. There are so many words over quarantine that I'm learning have alternate uh, pronunciations like biopic. I thought it was biopic, but so many people pronounce it biopic, which also makes sense. But again, just random thought. Like I'm like, yo, so many words that I've been pronouncing, I thought correctly forever have alternate pronunciations that that are, are simultaneously like way different, but also way cooler than the way I've been pronouncing it. Like I thought about biopic specifically because I'm like, man, I would have been pronouncing it biopic forever had I known that. But anyways, neither here nor there. Um, I don't even know how I got there. Just check out whatsusim.com. Check out everything we got going on. Again, albums of the decade, season one, first 12 episodes. Check those out everywhere you stream your podcast. Um, consulting, photography, uh, media kit, advertise with us. Um, check us out, everything we got going on. We will be back I will, hopefully tomorrow. So I have uh, an appointment with Willie Mac Jr. Like I said, we uh, lost his audio from last week, but we are going to get on Zoom uh, hopefully this evening to uh, get that audio right. So be on the lookout for that episode coming up next. Another fun episode with another first timer I have planned for very shortly. And then, uh, yeah, man, episode 50 on the way, on the way, on the way, on the way. Uh, we got to celebrate. So uh, put on your good shoes. Uh, we're going to do something nice. So be on the lookout for everything I've going on. We will be back very, very shortly again. Thank you guys for the support. Love you. Talk to you soon. I'm Detroit's own miracle, the golden kid. And everything I am must be what Detroit is. I'm Detroit's own. Yeah. I'm Detroit's own. I'm Detroit's own blessing, it owns my love And everything I am is what Detroit once was I'm Detroit's own I'm Detroit's own